Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Honest Leadership, we explore the intersection between real estate and leadership training and how honest communication can improve performance. Today's guest is Stephen Gaffney, president and CEO of Stephen Gaffney Company, a leading expert on increasing business profit through change management, honest communication, and higher performing teams. Stephen is an author, speaker, and trust buyer for top leaders from Fortune 500 companies like Amazon, Marriott, Allstate Insurance, the U.S. military, and others. Stephen is also the author of six books, including his first, Just Be Honest, and his newest publication, Unconditional Power, which will be available in early 2023. He has appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, NBC, CBS, Fox, and other mediums. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Thanks for having me on too, Alex. Stephen, tell us a bit about yourself. Wow, where do I begin? Well, I'll try to make it real short, but basically I grew up in the Washington metropolitan area and uh, launched the business about over 25 years ago and started off with a whole honest communication and it's evolved into team stuff and everything else. Um, yeah, it's just been, it's been, a, it's been a good life. You know, since the, the dawn of civilization, there have been many different interpretations of leadership, right? Most recently, Forbes defines leadership as a process of social influence, which maximizes the efforts of others towards the achievement of a goal. And you're in the leadership training, and you've got this whole brand around leadership. I'd love to get your definition of leadership. Yeah, whatever Forbes just said, I mean, it's too complicated. I'm going to, it's just, I'm going to make it real simple. There's two key things about leadership. First of all, um, the idea of leadership is often conveyed as leading down, but the truth is to be successful, we need to lead up, down, and across. We need to lead our customers. Leadership, which leads to the second point, leadership is not a position, it is a state of mind. And that's really critical to think about, and I'll prove it to you. Have you ever met somebody who has, quote unquote, the position of leadership, but nobody follows them? <laughs> oh, only all my bosses. <laughs> <laughs> and then have you ever met somebody who doesn't have that official position of leader, but everybody follows them? You look at the greatest leaders of our time, like Gandhi and Martin Luther King, they never held political office, yet they wielded a tremendous amount of power and influence and changed our world um, incredibly. So I, I, I don't like how people position leadership, because for a lot of people in a company, or they forget that our job is to lead in all different directions and all aspects of our life and even at home. Can you be a born leader? Is that a real thing? Or is that something that you cultivate and learn or are taught? Well, there's definitely uh, some people that just kind of intuitively get it. But, I, uh, but leadership is a learned skill. And the reason why I think that's really important to understand is because some people will come to my sessions and go, well, it's not that kind of leadership type. And that's just garbage. That's just an excuse. Anybody can be a leader as long as we have the right mindset and we execute accordingly. Anybody can. It's a learned skill. So at what point did you take a look at the landscape and said, you know what, I need to step in and teach everyone how to actually do this thing? Like, what, what was it that inspired you to lean into this area and, and, and do what you're doing and write all these books and, and be the, 
be who especially, you are. especially since if you ask most people, their number one fear in life is public speaking. <laughs> you chose as a career to be a public speaker. That is just <laughs> insane. <laughs> well, it actually happened by accident, as a matter of fact. So I used to represent photographers, film and radio commercial directors, and I had a, a business partner at the time. And uh, a, a convention came into town for photographers, and I just thought it would be an interesting idea to convey what I was doing with them and, in a seminar-type fashion. But what it really turned out to be when I did it was around communication and motivation. And I loved it. It was my very first experience of doing a session. And it went over well. And I just found my, you know, they say find your calling or whatever. And so here's the thing. I've always come into the business up because I like being in front of people, but because I believe in the message. And one of the first things I, I realized and out of uh, work, which I originally learned from Brad Blanton, who wrote the book called Radical Honest, where I became aware of people's number one problem in life. And the most important thing to remember out of this whole session is a lack of honest communication. But what I mean by lack of honest communication isn't about the truth or lies. It's actually what people don't say to each other. The biggest problem by far, and this is what I discovered, is not what people say, it's what they don't say. For example, how often have you thought, why didn't they just tell me? If they had told me, I could have fixed the problem, um, I went over a customer, turned around a situation. I had people coming up to me and say, you know, I got divorced. I never even realized my wife or whoever was, uh, was unhappy. So these types of things happen because the biggest problem isn't what people say. It's actually what they leave out. And so the key in life, and if everybody forgets everything else out of what we're going to cover, the number one objective in life is to get the unsaid said. Because when we get people to speak honestly, we can solve almost any problem. Well, I want to get into that, and I want to get into a lot of that, that issue. But, but just before we jump into that, you know, people, it, it's like the Titanic, right? It's what's underneath the water that you really have to worry about. It's the big thing underneath, not the little thing on top. And people see you all polished in the end, speaking these elegant ideas and helping teams. But how did you come together and put together in the background at the beginning all this thought process, this information, how did you accumulate all this knowledge before you then led to the step of being able to communicate it to others? Well, so I came in from the business side, number one. Number two, when I started to do this, it was real basic communication and motivation. And then I kind of just really realized around a lot around the work because around honest communication. But I'll tell you what, Jamie, you're bringing up a really good point because at that moment, I didn't really think that was much of a problem, meaning that people really needed to hear it. I didn't really, I know that may sound strange because I've discovered this is a big problem, but initially I just started coaching people offhand. And then a friend of mine one time said, you know, you're starting on this communication motivation front. Why don't you teach people how to have honest, difficult conversations and get them resolved? And I, and my response was, I think a lot of people know that. And he said, no, they really don't. And then I thought about it and I started teaching this. And here was the big breakthrough for my business. I figured out a nine-step formula on which you plug an issue, and it's a nine-step formula on how to share the most difficult things you need to share and have it be resolved. It was a formula that worked, and I taught this for many, many years, and that was the backbone and still the backbone of my business. Now it's evolved in teams and organizations and whatnot, but it kind of was an evolution. So it wasn't like sitting there saying, oh, I'm going to do this. It was kind of what I discovered. Some things came natural. And then I, and then I became obsessive about it. 
I would start to just um, read all I could, listen to the tapes at that time. There were tapes. I would remember running with audio tapes, you know, cassette and, and just be running and just obsessive about learning. And then you start to craft your own material and as you develop it. But anyway, the nine step formula was my big breakthrough in business. What is the nine step formula? I mean, can you share it? Yeah, I uh, know it's top secret. No, no, I can't. I just try to. You can but, share it for nineteen ninety five. Well, it, it could take a long time, but let me kind of hit the main highlights. So the first step is to deeply listen. Now, this sounds obvious, but most people listen to the words and they don't listen to the true message that is being conveyed. This is an. Uh, this is actually how I turned around my relationship with my mom. My mom is an incredible person. You know, my favorite person, but she can also be very negative. And I used to take that negativity and I would be like, what's going on? But then one day a seminar leader said, don't listen to what people are saying. Listen to the true message they're trying to convey. And of course, she's saying this because she loves me. That's her way of conveying it. So at work, do we get hung up on the complaints or are we deeply listening? So we can cover that. The second um, uh, step was to own the issue. We usually blame, but what I realized, and I used to have a television show out of Fairfax County, it was, wasn't good at all, but I interviewed a lot of successful people. And what I found out about successful people is they own the problem. They don't blame others. They look at themselves first. And I never realized why this is so critical. But what do you think about it? When we blame others, we lose our power to deal with the situation. But if I accept responsibility and own the problem, I can move forward and solve almost anything. But the first is I got to get myself in the driver's seat. Let me just hit some of the main other highlights. Um, beginning a conversation with a purpose. Sharing concerns is the next step. Ironically, if we share our worries and concerns, they're less likely to happen. Uh, we talk, and Then the next part is about breaking up fact from uh, imagine you know, our opinions and make requests and then stage persuasion, benefit, follow up and appreciation. So that's yeah, it. Let me jump. Let me jump in on there, because I think you, what you're what you're getting to is in part kind of where you've landed today, which is really around um, what I understand is your honest leadership or, or honesty in leadership. And I have a, um, a fundamental challenge with that, or at least maybe a, a fundamental question around the difference between honesty and transparency. So you could appear to be honest, but not actually be honest. For example, let a leader say, you know what? We're awesome. We're going to win. Uh, you can do it, but you really can't, right? I mean, I, I mean, th there's there's motivation. There's getting. You We're going down. It's the Titanic. It's over. Titanic was sinking, and they're like, oh, "Third yeah, is you know, very respectable. Third is hanging fine. out. People are drinking. It's all good." Yeah. So there's this notion of motivation and getting people to. Oh, think you'll get into Harvard for sure. <laughs> ahead of your skis. And not exactly be honest, but actually get people to succeed through your leadership. But it's kind of the truth, but not really. So can you talk a little bit about the difference between honesty and then transparency? Well, how are you defining that? Because these words are often used synonymous and I have different takes on it, but I, I, I'm not following you where you mean what's the difference between honesty and transparency. What's an example? Okay, a great, a great example is... Uh, when I want to buy a house okay. and someone says the house has good bones, um, but needs a little work. Okay. 
So that's transparent. You just told me some really interesting information about the house, but you didn't tell me that the house had had termites. Um, that you're, it's probably going to you get to redo the foundation. I mean, you, you get into all of the things, right? So there's so there's I guess a limit to the amount of like a half truth, exactly. So so Alex raised a really good point. Uh, so I actually think they're not being honest. They're not being transparent. I would collapse those two because the truth is they're not saying the truth. But here's the big thing for people to walk away from. You can fool somebody potentially, but once you break their trust, it's very hard to earn it back. As one of my clients said, I will give people my trust. They don't have to earn it, but if they break my trust, it's over. And it doesn't mean they can't ever recover, but it's unlikely to recover. So what going back in that situation, which I think is really important in sales, right? Where people think, oh, well, I'm going to spin it. That may fool somebody, but we live in a world in which people find out the truth. And when they do, they will never do business with us. Yes, yeah, interesting. You know, in law, there is always a saying, you know, give me the whole truth, nothing but the truth. And I've always been fascinated with that statement because it, it assumes that you're not that someone will give actually not the whole truth, just part of it. Right? Yeah. It's still truth, but it's not 100% truth. And here's the thing, though, Alex and, and, and Jamie, the way the world is now is not how it used to be. Mm-hmm. We have with Google and all the ways you can do research, people find out the truth. In fact, daily come up on news where people have done things in the past and it did show up, but now it's showing up. You can find out the truth. This is the most important skill in leadership and in sales is to tell the truth. Just tell the truth. I was in sales on Wall Street and uh, I used, I coined a term called long-term greed when I was trying to impart my knowledge on up-and-coming salespeople who were joining my team or joining our organization. Anybody can sell a deal. You can kind of find ways to say the right things to get someone to buy a deal. But if you're not, like you say, if you're not completely truthful and if you're just trying to sell that deal and not trying to build a relationship and that should fill or the truth out is chase, which it always does in the end, whether it's an interpersonal relationship or a business relationship, then you, just like you said, you've lost that relationship long term. But if you can cultivate a long term relationship that sometimes the deals are going to be good deals and sometimes they're not going to be that good deals, but we're trying to sell them and be as honest as you can, try to find a reason for why it would be a good fit even if it doesn't look on the surface like a great deal if you can do all that then you've established a long-term relationship and over time you and that and that customer will both benefit and and enrich yourselves from the relationship but it's hard sometimes when you're young and you're up and coming and you're being driven and you're told in corporate america to go go and get get and close close it's hard sometimes to know where that line is yeah in fact you bring up another interesting point which is about when you're up and coming and the pressures and then people lying. So I was on a plane where the inspector general of a major government agency uh, sat next to me and you know, whole, uh, inspector generals that obviously ethics and all this stuff and um, that they need to take care of responsible for and ensure within an organization. So I asked him this question, why do people do unethical things? And he said a couple of things that really surprised me. He said, the number one reason why people start to do unethical things is because of the pressures that they interpret in their job. They start to kind of ease back. Now, there's obviously the egregious stuff, but I'm saying day in and day out, it's kind of good people that start to like edge on things. And then one thing leads to another and another thing leads. 
then uh, and then another thing happens and so on. The other thing that was really astonishing is that he said that most people that do unethical things are doing it because they think it helps the company, not so much for personal greed. So a lot of times somebody will think that they're trying to do the right thing with the goals or whatever, and they're those pressures, and they're trying to think things. An example would be the Volkswagen situation, right? With those engineers that um, did some things with uh, the the reports, and it, as as I understand it, they thought that just to be helpful. clear, they 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 falsified what the emissions were, so it looked like the cars were were in compliance with the emission standards when they weren't. Correct. Correct. And so here's the thing. That engineer wasn't benefiting. I mean, it was. I mean, it wasn't like they're getting a reward for certain things. It was just they thought there were the pressures that they were doing the right thing. So you bring up a really interesting question: Do we create an environment for people to tell the truth? This may sound easy, but my experience is that we train and condition people all day long, and some people train people to lie to them. I'll give you an easy example. Have you ever had somebody say to you, "Listen, I, I love." Um, constructive criticism. You can tell me anything. I really want to hear your feedback. And you give them feedback and they flip out. <laughs> Next time they ask us for feedback, we're like, we're not going there. In You're companies, fired. yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's employees, there's people who say, I understand about speaking the truth. And I'm not even talking about the ethical thing. I'm just talking about the day in and day out stuff where they don't feel the environment where it's safe to speak up. And then they don't feel rewarded for their honesty which are the two most important things in cultivating an um, environment of trust and getting people to set the unsaid said. Emotional safety, not psychological safety, like most has been reported. We could talk about that. And then rewarding honesty. Rewarding honesty means you got to do something with it. Have you ever met somebody that you felt comfortable speak the truth? They ask you for advice, but they do anything with what you tell them. And after a while, you say, forget it. But I think that there's a, there needs to be some, uh, way of being able to not curtail the truth but deliver the truth in a very constructive finesse way. <laughs> yes something like that because honesty in all situations may not necessarily be the best thing in all situations i mean i'm not sure if you had a girlfriend <laughs> and you know do you i look not- fat <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, does this make me, me look fat? Me, for for me, does this make me look short? For me, Jamie, does this shirt make me look short? No, Jamie, you look terrific. <laughs> but but you know, but in all but in all I have an interesting story about that too. Yeah, so but yeah, it was, but in all seriousness, there you know, there the environment in which you speak of that um perhaps promotes dishonesty is what I like to think um is an environment of success. Or environment of winning, or envir- environment of feel good and, and and being good, and I feel like leadership in a lot of ways, great leaders in fact, are defined based on their success, not on their failures, right? And so, to be a great leader, you win. Uh, if you're not a great leader, you lose. And there's this there's this stigma around losing as a great leader that perhaps in some way, shape, or form drives people to be less honest either about their results or about their achievements so that they can they can get people to win more often or at least be perceived as such. So can you just talk a little bit about like what you think the right environment uh, uh, for honesty, what that looks like and how do people how do people how can leaders be honest about bad news in order to promote people to do good things? A lot of things to say about what you just said. So uh, let me just give the overall headline. My experiences with my clients that all successful leaders tell the truth. They just do. 
my clients do and everything. And so you, and, and there is a difference between honesty and brutality, but essentially what you're saying is how do you be honest about difficult situations? And that is to call it the way it is and then offer hope and the pathway forward. Let me give you a specific example. I was coaching the CEO and he pushed back on me. He said, I'm telling the truth to the employees that we're in a really bad situation and, uh, and it's not working. People are demotivated. I said, the problem isn't that you're saying that. It's that you're not offering a plan, a hope, a specific way to move forward. You got to be honest about that too. So, and if there, and if the, and if it's doom and gloom ahead, then what are you doing leading? And what he realized was he was so wanting to manage expectations about the, the, the current situation. He forgot to also be honest about all the great things that he realized were ahead that were honest and, uh, and, and, and clear. So optimism is a really important trait uh, in that way. And so it is important about being completely truthful, but also a pathway forward. Being an optimist is a key leadership trait. In fact, let me just say anything about optimism. Sometimes an optimistic and pessimistic person will get in an argument and they'll say, the pessimistic person will say, I- I'm just being realistic. They don't want to hear the truth. But actually, the true definition and difference between optimistic and pessimistic is they both look at the facts. But an, a pessimistic person says, well, we're now doomed. An optimistic person looks at the facts and say, we will somehow figure out a way. Optimism is a key successful trait in being a great leader. Love that. Well, especially you make a great point because you want to follow somebody who you think believes that you're going to get to where he's trying to lead you, right? If you if if if, if the person doesn't is isn't optimistic and doesn't you don't feel it, he honestly is driven and believes that we are going to achieve what they're trying to achieve, then you'd never follow the guy, right? But like uh, the, the guy himself doesn't believe it. And 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 belief starts with ourselves, right? What do they say? The first sale starts with yourself. So if we the way to convey belief and passion is you've got to believe that. And if somebody going, oh well, I don't always leave with the company's thing or I don't leave whatever, you've got to get yourself educated or figure out what you're gonna do about it. But the worst thing you can do is portray that you believe in something when you don't, because people are smart and we're lousy actors and actresses. I got a funny story about this. I had this lady who took a, a, a course of mine in the beginning. She goes, Are you gonna talk about how to change your tone in here? I said, yeah, but, but, but what's going on? She said, people say that I sound like I'm mad. And I said, well, are you mad? And she goes, oh, yeah, I'm furious. Well, she sounded <laughs> mad. She was mad. And then I had this other lady at the EPA Environmental Protection Agency, and she said, you know, I'm not connecting with my staff. Can you help me? And I said, well, what do you think of your staff? And she goes, I think they're stupid. Well, no accident. She can't lead people when she's believing that the people she's believing are stupid. You see what I'm saying? So the answer is to really address what's going on internally because our inside voice impacts our outside voice. So we got to look at what's going on inside so we can be a powerful leader on the outside. I took a couple of seminars when I was in leadership positions on Wall Street. Uh, you know, they take the MDs to an offsite. Everybody does Myers-Briggs, which I don't even remember what I was, but apparently it tells me what type of person I am. And, and so, they, so they can, uh, the, the point was, what was, 
people tend to have an easier time leading people who are like them. If you're, if you're an extrovert, you're easier to lead an extrovert. And when you get an introvert, you don't really know how to reach them. And, and so when you have a CEO who buys into your, the ability for you to help an organization and they bring you in and then people come, come, come and they, and they do the seminars or, or they do the, they do the exercises. Do you find it hard sometimes to get the rank and file to buy into what the, the CEO, you know, we're going to get this group, he's going to man, he's going to just have to be moronic. Everyone's like rolling their eyes. Oh my God, I got to attend this. And I'm two days late on my project. How do you, how, how does an organization work its way from the top down to get buy-in for something like this? So first the buy-in has to stop, start at the top. And this is an important thing because when in the beginning of my career, I dealt with a lot of mid-level managers and, and lower level folks in an organization. And what I found is they would immediately change. But then if the leaders, their bosses, didn't, they would slowly but surely revert back to how their boss or their leadership is. So that's why I always start with the top of the organization, wherever that organization is. It may not be at the C level, although it often is. It could be a, a leadership of a department or whatever the case may be. That has got to start, and they have to start to do these um, skills that we're talking about. And if they do, then people will follow into it, will follow accordingly. Something else, though, you're bringing up is that most people attend a session and they're skeptical. You know, and I don't blame them because so many have had people have had bad experiences. We're taking a personality test that, oh, it's really fun, but then how do we apply it? It's not a knock on these personality tests, but what it is, is what are we doing with it? How are we making this work? The average person wants to come to the job and they want to do the best job they can. Most people are not coming to work and saying, how can I screw this up? Don't tell anybody, but I'm trying to screw it up. Most people are trying to do a great job. We just got to let them do a great job. Well, you know, it's funny, you know, because there's there's different types of work, right? There's knowledge work, there's physical work. I mean, you can work in a coal mine, you can work at Google, uh, and and different leaderships. Oh, in 2022, or in 2005, or in the 80s, and there's a different type of leadership required. There was a book um, that I really loved by Jim Collins called um, "Good to Great," and um, there is this notion that that there are different types of leaders for different times in an organization. There are people that are considered to be uh, time tellers and people that are considered to be clock builders. And those people that can look out in the stars and say, well, you know, it's five o'clock or someone that can actually build a clock. So operational excellence versus visionary leadership and all of that. Most recently, Google, uh, I think HS, uh, Harvard Business Review talked about the best teams are teams of friends and people that are, that are friendly with one another. And then there's trust and honesty and so forth, and also collaboration and great relationships. And, but but it, it feels like the definition of great leadership has evolved over time and changes. COVID obviously created a challenge. People weren't going out drinking together versus, you know, prior where, where those leaderships had ability to, to, those leaders had the ability to connect in a different way with their, with their teams. So tell us a little bit about that evolution, right? Because I think that you know, at one point, depending on how old you are, what generation you're from, you might think that, you know, you can never be friends. You're a leader, you know, your employees are no longer, not your friends, you know, they, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to talk to them and go hang out with them. You want to maintain the separation between your teams. And if you're perhaps from a younger generation, you'd feel like, well, you know, you have to be friends, you have to go hang out and be close to your, your teams. What, what would you say the difference of the two, if there is still a difference, and how do you 
how do you incorporate your honesty and your, your philosophy into that model? So there's a lot of things that obviously have changed and altered. And you could look at the state of a business and what is required. So I have um, I have small client, you know, small business clients, and I have large, huge corporations. There are different leaders required for different stages. Like some can get things started, but they don't manage things well accordingly, um, or it could. And some get things started and they evolve. Um, there's all kinds of things, and then it depends on the industry. But here's what's universally great. There are 10 overall, what I call leadership gravitational pull traits. In other words, what what makes us follow people and versus not follow people. And one of them we just touched on was to be positive and passionate about the future. That's never going to change. In any industry, in any situation, that's an admirable trait and people will follow somebody because when they're pessimistic or not passionate, people will disengage. This another successful trait, and we can go through them, but I want to just give you an example, is having a calm confidence. Successful leaders in any industry, in any stage, the ability to maintain calm in a, in a, in a, in a sea of storm is critical for people to follow. For example, have you ever been around somebody who gets all spun up? And that makes us spun up. So the ability to be calm, confident is really an, uh, another key trait. And one more, just to give you um, what I mean by this, to resolve um, elephants in the room. And that is a, always going to be a successful trait, the ability to resolve issues. For example, some leaders are not really, and we're using leaders now as a, in the traditional sense, um, it, um, you know, around position, even though we already said it was a state of mind. But the idea is that um, some don't get issues resolved. They, there's a performance issue and they let it drag on. There's a customer issue and they let it drag on. There's problems and people feel bogged down or people are disconnecting and they just let it linger versus the ability to resolve issues quickly. That is never going to change in any industry, in any stage. That's what I'm talking about. And what I think people need to do is not focusing on always the differences, but what are universal skills that are really critical in any industry at any time to lead anybody. Listening to you talk about all these traits, all these characteristics and, and, uh, and these lessons that you're imparting, it sounds like these lessons can be just as valuable to our personal lives as it can to our corporate life, right? Yes. In fact, I have people who attend a session and they said their marriage, they turn around a, a, a child situation. I'll give you a recent example. So there's a distinction I teach around how to be powerful in any situation and overcome adversity, but also around connecting with people. And we can discuss that, but some of it we've already covered, but here's the key point. Um, uh, one of my clients applied this to a teenager and he, and he said, my teenager is being a typical teenager. And I'm like, that's an excuse, you know? And, and so he applied the skills that we talked about. And I talked to him last week. He said, the relationship is completely turned around. So what did he do? He, he didn't let himself have that excuse to that person's a teenager, right? He's, and he deeply listened to her where he was mostly lecturing to her and he really bonded with her. And then by that connection, she started to listen to him and now they have a fantastic relationship. So absolutely, these leadership skills and honesty work not only at work, but it also works at home. It's universal. Stephen, this has been so interesting. So many points that I that I want to follow up on and read more about. Uh, as we wrap up here, why don't you leave us with just a couple of minutes on uh, what are you working on next? I think you have a new book coming out. If maybe we want to touch just on what the topic will be, and where can our listeners go if we if they want to follow up on this, if they want to engage with you from the corporation, etc. 
So the latest book that I'm working on, which will be out obviously now, it looks like next year, early next year, around uh, called it's called unconditional power, and it's the idea that most people think they're powerful, but they're conditionally powerful. For example, they'll say, "I can get that done as long as I have more resources, as long as that person does this, as long as there's always excuses built in." But the idea is to be unconditionally powerful. And so I'm working on that, and that's based on a lot of the work that I'm already doing on culture and organizations. Um, where people can find more about the work is if they go to justbehonest.com, justbehonest.com. And if they mention your show, we will send them that book around those nine-step strategy on honest communication. I'll just send it to them for free. So all they have to do is mention the show, but also one more thing. I want to hear how they've used what we talked about. So that's all that I require, and we'll send that to them. For the swag is supposed to go to the hosts, not the people who call <laughs> in, but we'll discuss that later. Yeah. I want to thank you very much for coming on. It's so enlightening. It's always a pleasure to hear your thoughts. Uh, good luck with the new book. Continued success with the company, and please don't be a stranger. Thank you for having me on. Great having you, Stephen. Thank you. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.